Hello and welcome to Homebrew Episode 4 with me Ethan and me Bex and today's guest is author Chris Beckett. Chris is most well known as a science fiction author for his Dark Eden trilogy for which he won the Clark Award. He's also written several short story collections including The Turing Test which won the Edge Hill Prize and last year's Springtide. His most recent novels are America City, a political sci-fi story set in a post-climate change world and Beneath the World of Sea a surreal exploration of the subconscious mind. Chris appeared on the podcast a couple of years ago now, but we got in touch with him again to appear on Homebrew because we saw that he was posting a series of free stories on his website around the theme of isolation. And I had the chance to speak with him on his thoughts on the lockdown, the selection of these isolation-themed stories that he's been publishing on his website, and also the effect that all of this is having on his creative process and potentially the effect that this event might have on science fiction in general in the future. So we're delighted to be joined this time by Chris Beckett, who's an award-winning author of many novels and short story collections, including the Dark Eden trilogy. Hi, Chris. Hello. Hi. (laughs) So very broad question to begin with. How are you getting on during the lockdown? Well, I I suppose uh, initially my feeling was it doesn't make much difference to me because I spend a lot of my time moping around at home anyway. Um, But psychologically, it feels quite a lot different. And... uh, so I'm sort of realising that I've got to make, you know, quite a few adjustments. I can't go and meet people and so on and having to evolve new ways of keeping in touch with people. So, uh, yeah, that's all been interesting. I mean, you know, it's just, I mean, it sounds very selfish, but from a personal point of view, it's, I'd, I'd use the word interesting rather than deeply, uh, deeply troubling. But I realise it's much more difficult for other people, including, for example, my uh, my daughter and her husband and her little baby we must be driving each other nuts i would have thought um <laughs> in a small flat in london you know the little uh, one-year-old who's constantly you know main idea of fun is moving around the room and uh, emptying drawers onto the floor you know that must pay that must pay that must um get tiring after a while you know when they're all together hugger mugger. but they seem to be coping fine you know so yeah so far so good yeah are you discovering increasingly obscure technological ways to keep in touch with people as well well i'm I, yes I, i'm no I'm not, a, you know, I'm, like many science fiction writers, I'm not very technical at all. Um, but uh, certainly uh, I'm using various different ways of having video chats with people, uh, including Zoom and um, uh, FaceTime and various other things. And um, uh, it's interesting because one thing I sort of made me realize just chatting to my sister this afternoon, I was saying, why don't we always do this? Why don't we always have video chats when we speak? It's much nicer than just talking on the phone. So I think some of these things will become permanent after this. And, and I had a nice evening with my other sister who lives in uh, Bristol on uh, Saturday night. Spent the whole evening drinking wine, playing games, chatting, and uh, and two of my kids were there who were in London. And uh, again, we, you know, we just wouldn't have got together before, so that was nice as well. And I sort of think, why don't we do that sometimes? Have just have video evenings together. So hopefully, some of that will stick. I don't know. Yeah, it, it feels odd that looking back, it's almost a, a sort of force of habit when. You're used to speaking to someone on the phone, you know, yeah. maybe once a week, and it, it's been that way for yes. years, even decades. And yeah. so 
there's never a reason to change the way you do it until a reason yeah. gets pushed upon you. Yeah, you miss, you miss people's faces, so you do it. It's odd because I was thinking, you know, like if you looked at, you know, science fiction movies and, or stories in the 70s, you know, the whole thing was, you know, in the future there's going to be video phones and you're going to be able to see people when you're on the phone, you know. And those things, I don't know how long it is, they've been around for like 20 years, haven't they, that you can yeah. you can <laughs> see people on the phone without any problems. And usually it's free as well because it's something like uh, WhatsApp or something's free. Apart from selling your soul to the devil, obviously, you know, and um, <laughs> uh, uh, and yet we haven't really bothered with them very well. At least I don't know, but perhaps you have, but I haven't really bothered with video methods of communication at all. So it's interesting, you know, the the future came and we actually just couldn't be asked, you know. <laughs> but now, but now there's a reason to try it. So, so that's good. That's nice. Yeah, we had a very fun time, uh, you know, evening on Saturday. Yeah, I also feel like there's they used to feel something at least to me something odd about the idea of having a video call with someone yeah of feeling a lot more self-conscious yes um when I just wanted to have a chat with someone as to you know I, if I'm in my pajamas I can't just go and well that's true yeah oh, yeah you can't oh, take calls in the loo anymore and things like that you know but <laughs> but, but um, now I think half the nation's in their pajamas so it's yeah exactly fine. yeah yeah exactly yeah um that's yeah, fine yeah that's true but actually, I've always been slightly, very slightly phobic of phones. You know, I don't really like phone calls because for the very reason you can't see people's faces. You know, I like to be able to see people's mm. faces when I'm talking to them, making sure, you know, checking that their reaction to things, you know. So um, uh, I don't know why I haven't done it before. But anyway, I think I will stick to that, you know, at least for some people. <laughs> yeah. Has all this had any effect on your creative process from a, a practical perspective or, or in, in the kinds of stories that you're thinking of writing in the future? To be honest, I, I, I haven't been writing very much over the past few weeks and um, that may be nothing to do with this because I go through periods when I, nothing seems to come. And that happens usually with every book I write, there's a period when I can't seem to make it come alive. So that may be nothing to do with this. Um, but I think... I think it is a bit distracting having this going on in the real world, this strange event going on in the real world. Because, you know, let's face it, you know, I'm in, I'm in my 60s now. It's like um, I've never experienced anything like this before. Um, so it is a unique event. Um, so maybe sometimes I wonder whether it's – I wonder whether perhaps it just seems like fiction seems a bit lame when the real world is suddenly t- turning out to be quite interesting. Mm. Uh, but I, I think uh, – I don't know if other writers feel that, um, but I, what I think, what I feel fairly sure is that uh, this will seep into my um, unconscious and, and so on, and it'll come out in some way in the future in my writing. I'm sure it will because I don't think I think it'll have to it'll have to be uh, in the future when I've digested it all and processed it all that I, that I will that I work out what what I'm learning from this. I don't think I know when I'm in the middle of it. I, I may be getting this quote wrong, but didn't Wordsworth say poetry was emotion recollected in tranquility or something like that? Uh, you know, it's like you have to, you, you don't write the poem when you're feeling the emotion, you write it later on when you're looking back on it, you know. I think there's something in that, you know. Not that I write poetry, obviously, but, you know, it's the same principle. <laughs> A lot of your novels have focused on societies that are going through fundamentally big changes. Yes. And then. Yes. Um, with the Eden trilogy, you see how those changes then play out for yes. subsequent generations. Yes. Um, and then something like America City, which is, you know, a, a sort of alt but 
possibly not too alt version of of the future here on earth mm. um is is any of the things that are happening now surprising or unsurprising to you and do you think that this is all going to completely alter the way people start to imagine the future um i suppose what's surprising about it is you know what is surprising about it if we were asked to imagine this a few years ago, what would it be like if we all had to stay indoors for, you know, several months and on end? I don't know whether we would, we wouldn't have got it right, would we? We wouldn't, you know, it's difficult to put your finger on, but we wouldn't have got the emotional mood right, would we, if we tried to imagine it? I don't know what I would have imagined, but it wouldn't, wouldn't have been quite like this. Um, but as to the long-term consequences of this, I don't know what they'll be. I mean, I suppose one thing that is quite nice about this is that um, it's not as divisive as Brexit. You know, it's not as divisive as Brexit. So we're all in the same boat. And I know lots of people criticise the government for the way it's handling and everything, but it's, we're not we're not divided into two camps about this, really, are we? It's not really like that. And I think that's in some ways that's quite a healing thing for this country that that's happening. But um, oh, yes, I, I I'd hesitate to say more than that. I mean. Every time a, a nation goes through an experience together, that changes the way it sees itself. That must happen all the time. Like endless conversations that we engage in. That is what a, a community is, what a nation is, and that we're having endless conversations about this. They will change us, but probably not in a way that we quite, you know, I don't go along with it. There's a kind of idealistic thing that says, well, never, we'll, we'll, we finally understand, um, you know, how important community is and so on, and we'll never go back again. I'm afraid I don't take that completely optimistic view, but we will take something forward from this that's different, that, that we, 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 we won't go back exactly to how it was before. I feel sure of that, yeah. In a strange way, um, I'm looking forward to the time about 20 years from now when yes. people start to become incredibly nostalgic and romanticise yes. the great 2020 yes. lockdown of yes. the coronavirus. And, yes. You know, it, it, every story will be... Oh, and then I went and I left some milk up for my neighbours and things like that. Yes. And, you know, maybe some of the darkness will get glossed over in this kind of it, shared it will. memory of it. It will. I mean, I, you're right. And, and so my my parents' generation, my mother was a bit nostalgic about the war. My mother lived in a market town in Dorset. She wasn't very directly involved in the war, but she uh, she would talk about the war with some affection about, you know, because it was an exciting time for her as a kid. You know, she was a kid in her... I don't know how she would have been in the sort of early early teens, or, or she turned into she reached her teens when the war was was underway, and um, she looked back on it as a, a rather exciting time when you know things were kind of special and unusual, and American soldiers came through in in trucks, and they used to throw chewing gum to the kids, and she used to lie awake listening to the bombers flying over at night going to bomb Yeovil, you know, which was um, that kind of thing, and it, yeah, it's hard she looked back on it, and, and yet. Was it exciting for her at the time, or is that just the, the hindsight that makes it seem exciting to her? It's um, it's difficult to know, really, isn't it? Because um, nostalgia does play lots of tricks. I mean, we should all be we should be writing very carefully about what it's like now, so that when we have nostalgia for it in the future, we'll be able to look back and say, "But it wasn't really like that." But you know, in a way, even now, it feels special. Does it to you? Do you know what I mean? It feels special. It does. It feels slightly unreal yeah. in, in a sense yeah. of existing in a, a almost in a suspended place and yeah. time yeah. where things seem to be incredibly static mm. 
and not just literally, but uh, emotionally as well, in that mm. you feel like you don't quite know which way to dive with it. Yeah, um, yeah. It's like everyone's just holding their breath slightly. Yes, that's it. That's a good way. Of, that's a good way of putting it because that's exactly how I feel when you ask me questions about it. I sort of think. Like I feel like I'm in a state, exactly like you say, a state of stasis, and I can't. I feel I can't say very much because it's. I'm like poised. I'm, I'm sort of just sort of poised in the sort of moment. It's an odd thing, but it's not a completely unpleasant sensation. That's what I'm saying. For me, it isn't. I know for some people it is, but um, it's not completely unpleasant as far as I'm concerned. But um, it is a state of only one thing. I was thinking today is when the news. You listen to the news. It is all about the virus. It's not. It's no news about anything else at all, is there? Um, yeah. So all the all the chitter chatter about other things in the world. I, I wonder what's happening to all the wars and things that are usually going on. You know, they must still be going. We don't get to hear about it. Um, yeah, it, it's just about the virus, and in some ways, life has been reduced to something simpler because it's just about this virus, which um, also has the virtue of not being human, so we don't have to hate anybody or anything like that, which is nice. <laughs> I, had, I had this odd thought earlier today that there's no sport, so. What are lots of people talking about? I know. Because yeah. it, looking back, it feels like for a lot of people, that was 90% of what a lot of social conversations were. Yeah, about. sport. And uh, and I suppose another kind of person talks about politics a lot, and there's not very much politics to talk about. I mean, I know some people are spending their time minutely examining the government's uh, strategy and so on. And so I suppose that makes up for it, but not normal politics people aren't talking about. And um, yeah, it's all very odd. Um, but I'm sure, you know, those us writers, you know, you, you will time goes on. This we there will be we will draw things from this, you know, we'll draw we'll draw a lot from it, but it's difficult to say at this moment what it will be. It kind of makes you realise that we're kind of making it up as we go along all the time, doesn't it? You know, the the, the world that seems so what we think of as the normal world, it can just be interrupted by something completely different and and we have to we have to do something completely different. It's it's a, it's strange, yeah. So I know you've been um, putting some of your sort of big back catalogue of short stories on yes. your blog on the theme of isolation over the last couple of weeks. Um, wh- why did you decide to start that? Well, uh, I suppose to start with, I thought, I was aware I wasn't being terribly productive in my actual original writing. Uh, and that was depressing me a bit. And, um, and I thought, well, lots of people are sitting around with not much to do, so... Why not put some stories up? You know, um, people can look at those. And um, and actually, I've had a bit of fun with it, going through my old um, back catalogue of short stories and picking out ones that um, I thought linked vaguely with the theme of isolation and all the, in all the different meanings of the word. And and then also choosing them from different times in my life and then sort of arranging them into a collection that hopefully would contrast different styles and different types of story and so on so that anyone who decided to read it from one end to the other don't know if anyone will but if anyone did they would find you know that it was an interesting ride you know one each story would be different from the previous one and uh, it would be an interesting sequence so i I spent a long time on that i've also went over the stories uh some of the stories and just edited them a bit you know tweet them a bit you know benefit of like 20 years in some cases you've you kind of think oh yeah actually i wouldn't put it quite that way now and just tweak it a bit you know and uh, yeah, I've had a lot of fun with that. And, and also, it's, it was quite nice discovering some of my old stories and thinking, Do you know what, I actually like that story. I'd forgotten, almost forgotten about it, but I actually like the story, you know. And, um, so that was just nice, you know. Um, you know, because I take, you know, I take pride in my short stories, and I, don't, I haven't been 
well, I kind of seem to, the short story stage of my life seems to be a bit, oh, I do write the occasional short story, but I don't write them as much as I used to. I was never very prolific. I used to write two or three a year or four a year, maybe at most. I don't even write that many now. So, uh, yeah, it was nice to look back and uh, and see that. Uh, <laughs> one thing that just struck me was it wasn't very difficult finding stories with an isolation theme. <laughs> it's definitely one of my main themes, you know, so it uh, <laughs> wasn't difficult at all. You know, probably nearly all of my stories could have been squeezed into that theme with a pinch. But um, but it did also make me realise that isolation means a lot of different things, you know. So some of my stories about about people who are very lonely, that's an isolation theme. Some of my stories about people who feel trapped or stuck, that's a different kind of isolation. Um some of the stories are literally written with only one character. Some of my stories have only got one character in it. That's quite isolating, quite isolated. And, you know, but some of them, you know, a few of them actually deal with isolation in a somewhat more positive way. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's nice to be alone, you know. Sometimes it's nice to just be alone. You know, I've been thinking about that and I've been thinking, I certainly had some times in my life and I felt very lonely, but I don't feel particularly lonely now, I have to say. But I have had times when I feel very lonely. But I've also had time, some of the best times in my life have been when I've been alone as well. So, you know, it's a complicated thing, isolation. But I suppose isolation doesn't just mean being lonely. It means being cut off from, it means like being, I think literally it just means being like an island, doesn't it? It comes from the word for an island, isola. So, uh, so anyway, I've had fun playing around with that and thinking of different, trying to get stories that would give me different angles on the theme of isolation. Yeah, I hope people will have a look at those. I put them on my website. Um, I call them isolation stories. I think when I'm finished, I'm going to put about 21 stories out there. So that's a fairly lengthy story collection I've, I've uh, temporarily denoted to the world there. <laughs> um, and, and I think, yeah, I think people will find some of them fun to read, interesting to read. Have you always been conscious of themes of, of isolation and solitude being there in your work for a long time? Or is it something that looking back, you're just seeing? Well, I think it's a theme in my life. And I think it is a theme in my work, but I may not have used that word before. It's just that I thought self-isolation. These are stories of people who are self-isolated. Why didn't I use isolation as a theme? And then I realised that an awful lot of my stories in one way or another do deal with that. And um, and in fact, my, my, my best known book, Dark Eden, is, is about a community of people who feel isolated. They feel cut off from the earth you know they, they they feel they've lived and they also feel cut off from light and uh so the whole book is pervaded by a sense of isolation in a in a, in a way the whole seat the whole uh, trilogy is uh pervaded by isolation it's not the subject it's not that it's not what the story is about but it's but it's, but, the, but the background is is about people who are isolated and, and how they uh, come to terms with that you know so yeah it is quite a it is quite a big theme but I, I, perhaps i wouldn't have used that exact word but the Eden uh, theme is also also borrowed from the uh, biblical story of Eden and the idea of people being exiled as well, being cast out of paradise. That's the original story. So uh, exile is similar to isolation, isn't it, really? And in some cases, it's literally the same thing, like Napoleon being sent to St. Helena. He's literally confined to an island and he's also being exiled. You know? But uh, anyway, I'm rambling now. Ask me another question. <laughs> I was reading, um, the one I was reading the other day was the one with the, the cave paintings. Oh, famous cave paintings on Isolus 9, yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and and, and again, thematically, it, it made me think a lot about the Dark Eden books, about the idea of a, a community yes. that gets cut off and finds its own existence um, over a very Yes, but, yes, it was like an even more extreme version of the Dark Eden setup. 
and they'd come up with a very extreme mythology to uh, to reflect their reality, really, which uh, that was the idea of that story, yeah. yeah. Did it work for you? It, it did, although the concept of the, the story behind the story that was depicted in the paintings of this uh, religion they've created was utterly existentially horrifying I know, to yeah. think about, which completely works because... I'm I'm expecting that yes. that's what you intended it to be. Yes. It was nightmarish in a in a way that can't yes. be put into words yes. to me to contemplate. Yes, that and then, of course it had that effect on the main character. He had he he when he when he allowed yeah. it to think himself to think about it, it was a nightmare for him. I, towards the end, he he kind of finds a way of dealing with that, even though he it doesn't work out entirely happily for him. He does find a way of dealing with that nightmare and sort of separating himself from it. Um, I thought, well, at least that's my intention. But uh, it was quite a nightmare scenario, yes, wasn't it? <laughs> it's a very dark place I descended to there. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, the, the, yeah the cave, what he saw in the caves, the actual cave paintings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's something I sometimes think, you know, sometimes I think, is it like that? You know? And I've sort of, even as a kid, I used to think that sometimes, you know, that it, was that what the world was really like, you know? Uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm trying not to give spoilers mm. for the story by saying it. <laughs> saying any more. Australia's Cave Paintings and Isolates 9, it's called that story. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's quite a, it's, it's, uh, yeah, I, I, I thought it was okay when I reread it. It's quite a long, uh, for short stories ago, it's quite long. Um, but yeah, I reread it and I thought, yeah, this, I, I still like this story. It's uh, kind of one of my older stories. <laughs> so you've, um, you've written mostly science fiction, but you've done some, I, do, I don't know if you call it literary fiction or speculative fiction or yeah. contemporary fiction or, um, there's this kind of yes. blurring of, sci-fi yeah. and speculative yeah. and, and literary genres in in some ways does that feel like the world that we're currently in which is to me feels like a very odd blend between the beginning of an absurd science fiction film and a very mundane that's a very interesting film. observation and i think you're exactly i think you put your finger on it because the funny thing is it is a science fictiony thing that's happening isn't it you know a global pandemic you know it's a lot of people are dying, sadly, and, uh, you know, we're all, you know, potentially all in danger and, and so forth. And, you know, the nation has stopped functioning and all classic science fiction scenario. And yet the reality of it doesn't feel science fiction does it? That's the funny thing. It just feels, like you say, mundane, doesn't it? Uh, not completely mundane, but it feels weird, but not in a science fiction-y weird way, weird way does it? It's odd. It's, um, like you say, kitchen sinky. It's, uh, and that's the thing. If one of us had written a story about this in the past, we would have made it more science fiction in some way or another, wouldn't we? we the, I don't know what we would have done. Maybe it will get more science fiction as it goes on. You know, We probably would have put you know, Mad Max-type characters roaming the streets and things, wouldn't we? But <laughs> that may still happen, of course. <laughs> yeah. But I, yes, I, I, I'd like to move a little bit away from the, these stories I put up somewhere about about a few of them are not science fiction stories, and, and my last collection, uh, Springtime, was not a science fiction collection. It's a collection of stories. Some of them are quite weird, and, um, fantastical, uh, but none of them is not in a science fiction way exactly. And some of them are just um, realist stories about people, contemporary people living their lives, you know. And uh, that was a new departure for me. And uh, you know, what works for me is if I can have you know, quite a fluid boundary between them the sort of fan the fantastical science fictional and ordinary life rather than just being a science fiction writer or whatever, you know. So some of, uh, one of the 
the stories I put in, I put out on these, these, these free stories I put out, um, it's called The Kite Song, and it's just about people in a, living in a small town, and there's nothing science special about it at all, but it's one of my favourite things I've done. Um, uh, but I, what I think I do, what I'm trying to do anyway, I don't know if I succeed, is to bring a kind of science fiction sensibility to everyday life, you know, so that to see even the ordinary world as being strange, to, uh, right, to, to kind of look at it as if almost with um, I'm seeing it for the first time kind of thing. That's what I, I think that's what I've tried to do in that story. And uh, and again, I suppose, going back to your parallels with our present situation, that is one of the things about this pandemic, isn't it? It does make ordinary life seem strange. Even if you go out in your garden and do some gardening, which you might have done anyway, it's different because you're doing gardening in a pandemic and that feels different, you know? Um, so everything has got a slightly different flavour to it, you know? It's funny, it's a very funny comparison to make, but the other day I thought it's a bit like Christmas <laughs> in the sense that, do you feel that? I always think that, even though, you know, I'm a grown-up and I don't get very excited about Christmas, but I still, if I walk out in my garden on Christmas Day, it's my garden. The birds singing in the trees don't know it's Christmas, but it's just like, yeah, but this is my garden on Christmas and it feels different from my other days. You know, it's got that, you know, that slight differentness, do you know what I mean? And yeah, I just struck me, that's another thing that makes just somehow life seems slightly different for no obvious for no reason you can't put your finger on. The biggest difference that struck me just these last couple of days because suddenly spring has yeah. blossomed out everywhere, yeah. all over the garden. And there's probably less than yes. half the traffic oh, yes. that used to go past on the yeah. on the A road near us. And I can hear a swarm of bees mm. up in one of the trees mm. where the blossom has come out. And I can hear huge numbers yeah. of birds i could hear yeah. geese flying overhead yeah. not sure what kind of geese they were I, I could hear them and things that I, I wasn't sure if i could either not hear before because of the noise of mm. the mm. everyday world noticing yeah 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 no you mean i'm not sure which of those it is but i think it's the same with me and uh, i live quite near a fairly busy road i'm not I, the road i live on is a cul-de-sac but it's off a fairly busy road and normally you can't really get away from the sound of traffic here at all. There's always traffic in the background. And you don't necessarily notice it, but, you know, now it's much, much quieter. And, uh, yeah, I am noticing birdsong and so on uh, more than I usually do. But, yes, it's a shame not to be able to get out and explore the spring a bit more. But um, but nevertheless, it is nice to, to have a, a somewhat heightened sense of it. That, that is That is special, yeah, because I love the spring. I know, well, I've always thought actually spring and the autumn, spring and autumn are uh, seasons when things are changing quite quickly. That's what makes them seem special as well, because things are changing all the time. So the, the, they take the edge of familiarity. You know, the great uh, bane of life is familiarity. You get used to something and then you don't notice it any longer. So any any kind of time of change it always makes you awakens your senses. You know, even in an ordinary year, spring is special, isn't it? Because you got used to winter, and suddenly, oh wow, look, buds on the trees! You know, oh, wow, listen to the birds! You know, things like that. And uh, and then you get used to it, and during the summer, and the summer's lovely, but you get used to it, and then the autumn comes, and and it's like, oh, look at the colours changing, and oh, how clear the light is! You know, and so on. It's, uh, and it's times of change. You do you, your senses are heightened, and your sense of you know, your sense of being alive is heightened, actually. So, yeah. Again, I'm rambling. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything that you've been in, indulging in in terms of things that you've been reading or watching or listening to that you're now finding the time to do or that just seemed like the right time to do? Do you know what? I've, uh, I, I haven't been able to read very much and um, my concentration isn't very good for reading at the moment um, for whatever reason. I mean, it, it may not be all, all to do with the pandemic. It may be other things as well, but um, 
Uh, so I'm not reading very much, but um, what I'm enjoying doing is just sitting and thinking, which I'm doing a lot of that, just sitting and thinking. So that's for long periods of time, just thinking about things. And um, I always enjoy that, but I feel I'm giving myself license to do it more. And I'm enjoying that very much indeed. I'm just letting things mull over. You can tell in the way I talk, I like to ramble or, you know, and I, I just ram, letting my head just ramble through things. And yeah, I, I'm doing a lot of that, but I haven't, I haven't picked up a novel choosing to read it for quite a while and got through it. It's odd. I don't know why that is, uh, but I haven't done that. My wife and I have made a list of films to watch. We've been watching a few films, but um, we haven't got very far through that. But, yeah, we're trying to do that. And uh, let's see. Uh, I think what I'd like to do is look at pictures, actually. That's what I'd really like to do. But that's the one thing is difficult to do when you're, in, you're not allowed to go out. But um, uh, but there's somebody ought to put an online – perhaps somebody's done it. Do you think somebody's put up an online gallery we can all look at? That would be nice. I'd like that very much. I'm sure, I'm sure some museums must have – so yeah, more yeah. I, I must have a look because paintings often look really good on a laptop screen, actually, because you know because the, they're luminous, aren't they, with them on a laptop? In a way, they aren't in the gallery, you know. So, yeah, I, I think I'd like to look at some pictures. It's sad because the only time you tend to see or read very much about art in the news is either when something's been sold for a hundred million. Yeah. Quid, or something's been stolen. Yes. And so the only thing that I've heard about is the Van Gogh painting that got stolen when the gallery yes. was closed. And I'm sure that there must be galleries out there that are putting yeah, yeah. collections online and, and doing things for yeah. to, to engage with, but it never really gets very much coverage. I think it's a great curse of the uh, visual um Arts that because a painting is a unique object, it becomes also becomes an object of great material value. And um, this isn't true of poems or novels or things. You know, they, 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 we don't value the object; we value the the idea, don't we? And uh, so we don't have that problem. Uh, or music, same with music. You don't value, yeah, you know, you value a performance. You don't value a particular object. And so the other arts aren't sort of. They don't get mixed up with all that money nonsense, which uh, the visual arts do. It's a real shame, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, I'd like, I can have a look after this. I'm going to see if any galleries have done that. You know, like They should do. Yeah, they should do. Um, just put pictures up for us to browse through. It'd be lovely. I'd like that very much. Yeah. The uh, Cambridge University Botanic Gardens are on their Twitter feed doing daily posts showing some of the things that are coming out in the gardens. Oh, lovely. I didn't know that. They opened briefly. They decided to throw open their gates, didn't they? But free, and that lasted, didn't last very long. But then the lockdown came and they had to shut their gates again. But um, oh, look at that. That would be nice. Yeah. 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 I like it. It's a lovely place, that. And actually, it'd be a shame we can't go there because it'd be really nice right now because one of the only things that does mar the botanic gardens is you can't get away from the sound of traffic there, can you? And now you probably could. You probably yeah. could. <laughs> In some way, it feels like there's something incredibly sad about the idea of all of these beautiful flowers being out and no one being able to see them. And then I think, well, that's an incredibly selfish and human-centred idea because the flower doesn't care if I Yes, yes. It doesn't care. It doesn't care. And the bees and um, the other insects are fine. And, yeah, we are terribly uh, – we, we assume that our own eyes is what gives the world value, don't we, which is very, um, very, uh, very sort of self-centred of us. Um, I wrote a story, my last short story collection, uh, Springtide, I wrote one story. It's quite a short story, which was all from the point of view of a fish on the bottom of the sea. 
Um, I thought I'd, I'd like to try and do that. I tried and write one story that wasn't a human-centric story at all. It's quite fun, really, to try and imagine what it's like. It's sort of it's an imaginary fish, like a I don't know, like a hagfish or something like that at the bottom of the sea. <laughs> um, even more difficult to write one from the point of view of a flower, there, <laughs> plant. That sounds like a challenge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, there was another story in there, a very, very short one that had no uh, humans or animals in it. It's just a completely still life. It's called Still Life. It's just about material objects. Yeah. So I did try and do that, but it was very short. Are you likely to put that one up on the uh, isolation stories, or does it not quite fit? Uh, I hadn't thought. I hadn't thought about it. Is that isolation? I'm not sure. Perhaps I should. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> perhaps I should. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, perhaps I should. So, yes, yeah, so it would be nice to write a story that simply described a world without people in it. Just you just move through the world. That would be quite a nice thing, wouldn't it? Even even a science fiction story, which is just about an imaginary world, and we just move through it and saw it and, and saw different things in it and. Um, came to different places and observed them and moved on. That'd be quite a nice story, wouldn't it? <laughs> I don't know if you call it a story, but it would be, well, it would be, it'd be a made up, it'd be a fiction, wouldn't it? You know, I have to think about that. <laughs> yeah. I think once you, once you deliberately remove the need to have a narrative that requires human conflict in order to push it forward. Yeah. Yeah. You, you end up with an incredible space to do something utterly different yeah yes exactly um yes i always find it's a it's a great it's a it's annoying aspect of writing fiction that it kind of does need human conflict to drive it forward and yet that's not really true to life you know most of my life isn't order organized around conflict you know when you think about it i don't suppose yours is either it's not and it's not organized around what you know, classically a science fiction novel would be organized around some kind of problem that someone's going to solve, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, but life, well, we life may be organized around, you know, in your work you might have to solve a series of little problems, but that's not really, life isn't really about conflict. It's not really about solving problems. That's not really what it's all about. So this, in the, the process of writing a fiction, you create a slightly false image of what life is really like. That's a, that is a troubling thing about it, I think, but I'm not sure there's a way around it. But that would be the appeal of writing a story with nothing happening in it. I suspect it would be a bit dull if it went on for very long there. That's the trouble. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a, a final question. Mm. What would go into your homebrew to get you through the lockdown? Uh, uh, my homebrew, it doesn't have to be a, a material ingredient. It can be anything at all. That's right, it? yeah. Anything at all. Um, I think... Um, Oh God, homebrew. So this is this is going to be a kind of metaphysical drink that I'm going to drink that contains things that I need to get me through the lockdown. So um, a capacity not to uh, worry about achievement would be a nice thing. Um, heightened visual awareness would be nice if I could have that. Maybe you could stir a drug in that would be obviously a harmless, non-addictive drug that would heighten my visual awareness. So I could take pleasure in my visual surroundings or, or auditory surroundings for that matter. Um, and um, yeah, you might as well bung in vaccination against COVID-19 as well. <laughs> <laughs> Worrying that you're the first person to have suggested that. <laughs> <laughs> would have to me against COVID-19. That would be, that's probably quite a, that's probably a fairly practical <laughs> suggestion to be fair. 
I'm going to call up one of our guests and ask them what on earth they were thinking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, it's stirred into my drink so it tastes nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and where can people find out more about you and your work and find the isolation stories? Okay, so if you go to my website, which is www.chris-beckett.com, I posted all my isolation stories there. Uh, if you look at the sort of topic categories down the side that shows you the different topics that my blog is about, blog is about you'll see there's a category called isolation stories. And at the moment, I think there are 13 there, and I plan to post about another eight or nine there. So by the time I finish, there'll be about 20, 20, 20 one story is there so yeah if you just go there and you'll find it uh and you can also find me on twitter um at chris said beckett at chris said beckett so you can find me there as well and i and i kind of post a reminder every day when i put a new story up so that's that's there as well so either of those places well thank you so much chris uh for chatting to us it's been a real pleasure well thank you it's a pleasure for me too and thanks so much for your time bex and all the best for you with the rest of this uh, strange time yeah all the best to you and Cynthia. Thank you. You too. Bye now. So we'd like to thank Chris once again for joining us. Uh, do check out his stories, which he's posted on his website. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can find us by searching for Time for Cakes Nail everywhere. We're on Facebook, Twitter and on our website too. But until next time, from both of us, be seeing you. you.